Yeah, and it's funny that that topic comes out every now and then is like when we talk about engineers, we talk about the the introverted, shy person who he gravitated to engineering because they don't like talking to people and they like doing code. And yeah. now we're asking these people to become leaders of other individuals or their of managers and essentially asking them to do things that they try they gravitated to engineering to avoid. <laughs> However, I don't think that stereotypes type rings true so much anymore. And I think we're seeing a new generation of engineers, well, that sounds very cliche as well, <laughs> but come out that don't have that horribly introverted quality uh, personality anymore where it makes it easier for them to navigate the the different types. But of course, there are they are very different skill sets where code is very very simple people or not yeah well what about the challenge for the person who did not go into engineering because they are not introverted yet they end up still in a position that they're leading an engineering team right and there's that kind of conflict there yeah no here's the good question then that should that person be leading a large engineering organization or even a smaller one which is uh the age-old question of and i think some companies even I can't remember if it was Facebook or others, but have often said that all external management hires should be able to write code. Oh. Uh, it, it's not an easy, easy one to answer, but it does select for a certain type of skill set where people are expected to be software engineers before they become engineering managers. And I think there are pros and cons to that because it, running an engineering organization at the end of the day, you, you need to often understand what is going on in the ranks, but then on the other hand, sometimes you get better leaders or you can get great leaders from outside of an engineering discipline as well. So I dig it. Well, here, here's the good news, bad news. Bad news is I can't code. Good news is I can talk. That is my type of coding. And I am your host today here on the Scale Up Heroes podcast. And we just gave you a little bit of in medias rest. We are, we are having some conversation about how to scale up engineering. And today we've got a great guest and as always our great moderator to pull out the information that uh, that Twames as a hero, I think you forgot your cape, but it is there or maybe it's just a black cape and we can't see it. Uh, and the idea here of the Scale Up Academy and what we're doing with this podcast is to really showcase leaders out there who are in the scaling phase. They're past the startup, they're well beyond uh, the struggles of a startup and it becomes more of the struggles of a scale up. That's how do we get things ramped up going faster than is humanly possible, still remembering that we're dealing with humans. And then that means there's all kinds of issues because printers are like humans and that however much you have driver downloads and softwares and you think the technology is there, there's always something quirky with that connection. So today we are going to be talking about scaling up engineering. If you want to find other episodes that talk about some of these crucial components for when you are scaling, uh, and it applies to the startups as well, you can check us out at scaleup academy.io. Now, my name is Ryan Fullen. I'm a global keynote speaker. My code is my talk, and I like to get teams riled up and show them what it means to say less and actually say more. Um, so maybe it's kind of a short code. I, I think I'll have to do a little more research with that. But I'm excited because we have a, a small crew today, and I might be chirping in every once in a while, but my goal is to get everybody prepped up geared and then do some sort of a creative recap so that we insert everything into your brain because you can't just tell people and have them understand. You got to tell them what you're going to tell them. You got to tell them and then you got to tell them what you told them. So I have now told you what we're going to talk about and these gentlemen are going to talk about it and I'm going to come back in the end and tell you what we talked about. So Pedro, 
Take it away, buddy. Okay, thank you so much, Ryan. Um, so hi, everyone. Um, welcome to this new uh, podcast session. Uh, today, uh, the topic is explicit versus implicit team leaders, uh, the differences, the ups and downs of these sort of decisions that uh, regardless of being a startup or a scale-up, you definitely need to do <clears throat> somewhere during your, your path. And obviously, with us today, we have Thomas Rinta, VP of Engineering at Handshake in San Francisco. Hi, Thomas. Good morning, Pedro, or actually good afternoon for you. Uh, <laughs> good morning from a relatively rainy San Francisco. Yes, it is. So here in Portugal, it's 4 35 p.m. So definitely it's in the middle of the afternoon. Um, so I think that, um, first of all, and thank you so much for accepting the, the invitation to, to have a chat with us. Uh, I would like to, um, for you to, to explain everyone that's listening to us. Um, so what are your responsibilities uh, at uh, Handshake as a, as a VP of engineering? All right. And first of all, thank you for having me here, Pedro. It's a pleasure to be on here. So uh, as I said, I run engineering here at uh, Handshake. We are, uh, to what Ryan said before, of having scaled up as startups. So earlier this year, I jumped onto Handshake because I wanted to do the scaling up again. It's because it is so much fun. And it probably it takes a couple of years off of your life due to the stress part of it. But it's Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, so I run an engineering organization. We're currently about 35 people here in engineering. Handshake is still small. We're an earliest, earliest company at 120 people. We're probably going to double our engineering organization size in, uh, in the next year, going to 65 to 70 people. So there's a lot of scaling to be done. So as the VP of engineering here, I am organizationally responsible for the, the all 35 people. I'm a part of the executive leadership team here running, mm -hmm. in addition to engineering, the company strategy, working with the rest of the leaders. So <clears throat> I am an, indeed more of an organizational leader. Like Ryan said, his talk is his code. Well, I went into becoming an engineering leader because I realized I'm better at talking to people about code than writing code myself. <laughs> but I, I used to be a software engineer for a long time before transitioning into, into that. Uh, I've done a lot of things around software engineering leadership. I used to be, I did do the, the bigger company past the startup scaling, but before joining Handshake, I worked at Unity, the game engine, um, which mm -hmm. was 2000 people when I left. So there are, I ran a slightly larger engineering organization, but <laughs> I am always drawn to helping companies scale up. Very, very well. Um, and tell me one thing. So <clears throat> at least uh, I don't believe that everyone knows exactly what um, what the handshake is. So Unity, I think, is something that people know a little bit better, right? Because it's much more mainstream. It's kind of already it's a success story by itself. Uh, can you kind of give us um, uh, an insight on what handshake is? And in your opinion, what makes uh, handshake unique? Yeah, great question. So handshake, especially if you haven't come to college in the US recently, you may have not heard of us. So we are a platform that helps college students uh, land a job. After they graduate, we also help them get internships. And we exist for the sole reason that this has essentially been a problem in the United States for the past quite the many years. So we, what we try to do is, because not everybody gets to go to Stanford or Harvard or Yale or Princeton or any other of these very well-known company uh, universities. So we try to help everybody, no matter which school they go to, get the same access to employment opportunities that uh, all of these Ivy League students would get. So we are a company with a very strong social impact on trying mm -hmm. to help students land a meaningful career right after they graduate. 
Oh, very well. <clears throat> so going back now to, to our topic, uh, and today I think that it, it's going to be very interesting because I believe that, that you two almost can actually give us like a, a good insight on, let's say, what, what's happening on Handshake today, what can be the future, and even with your experience back at Unity, definitely we can almost have like a full, a full picture of... Um, of the very various stages of growth. Um, so back uh, looking to Handshake today. So do you have this figure of, of the tech lead? Uh, do you think that's, that's something that makes perfect sense in, in your perspective and in, in the context that you are today or not really? So we currently don't have tech leads uh, per se. And I, I think here, uh, I'm gonna clarify a little bit on what I mean by tech lead because to me, a technical lead or a lead engineer is an individual who has who possesses technical leadership only. They're not expected to be an explicit people manager. In my head, that's that. Rather, in my head, head an engineering manager is often the people manager. Now, however, especially in growing companies, these two roles very often merge. We do have what some companies often call the technical lead slash manager, which means, yes, we're actually expecting you to be the smartest person on the team. And also there are these four other people that you need to take care of. It naturally gravitates to that as companies scale and you do need somebody to take on that leadership because no longer can all the 15 engineers report to the CTO or the founder or whoever it is. So usually where we are at is we are in that middle stage of we're trying to create more carve out, carve out specific roles for individuals where they don't have to wear many hats. However, where we are is we're in that middle point where Half of my engineering managers don't code, the other half code 60% of their, of their time. And they, the, the ones who code also act as a technical lead on their team. Now, as we're scaling and growing, I do foresee the technical lead role as an more of an individual contributor through technical leadership to become more prominent, where we then build bigger teams where an engineering manager is required to have that uh, more leadership. So we are in the fun, but sometimes confusing middle state where it depends from per person to person currently on, and how their team operates, which is yeah. kind of what you need in a scaling up company because there's no one size fits all. No, absolutely. Uh, looking back, looking for instance to, to talk desk example. So when I joined the company in terms of engineers, we were around like 60 or so. Today we are over 200. And um, when I joined, so we, we had only like two managers and each team had a tech lead. Um, so the ups and downs of that was pretty much, so all the teams had some guidance, definitely, because you have like a tech lead that would be, uh, besides an IC, it would also you, you wear the Scrum Master's hat, okay? So you would do kind of, you know, a couple of, of roles. Um, but what we discovered is as we got to scale, definitely we started to have the need to have more managers and then we got to this point of, okay, so for some teams, even today, it makes perfect sense to have the, this figure of the tech lead, uh, while in some teams, we don't have that at all, and the teams work just fine. So it really, really depends on the skills of the team, the personality traits, you know, soft skills, how well it, the team can self the, be, be self-driven, and without that kind of need to have someone that is almost like the captain of the boat. Uh, so yeah. that's that's where we are today. And tell me one thing. And regarding, for instance, Unity, back back in the day, were you guys using um, tech leads or not really? Yeah, I mean, the teams I set up there, uh, and of course, Unity has an engineering group of what six, seven hundred people with working on different products. So uh, some of them work a little differently. The group I manage, we did have. Uh, 
here in San Francisco, I did have engineering managers and I did have specifically the engineers. And okay. the how I set it up is that given that some of the work was more on more established products where you do want to have a slightly different team, uh, sorry, larger team, there the benefit is that the engineering manager can provide personal management guidance to individuals of a broader group where then the tech lead is responsible for a the technical leadership of a specific segment, making sure that the quality is bar, looking at technical decisions, working across, working across teams. So at that point, the, the distinction really becomes between larger people management responsibility versus a specific vertical of technical leadership that we needed to have. Now, of course, that requires us to have our team structure and organization aligned with the products that we're building, because in that model, if there's conflicting priorities or overlapping responsibilities between teams, the technical leadership becomes modeled between who, who owns or is accountable for a certain piece of technology. So the engineering manager managing multiple technical leads then gives the possibility for that engineering manager to oversee that the overlap is not there in a way that it would actually disrupt the teams. However, we had a very established product, very large, very scaled up, which allowed us to give this clarity. And when I compare it to what we have at Handshake, we are still growing. That clarity might not always be there. We are a very established product in our space. However, we are still growing. And that requires technology to evolve, which then changes organizational structure. And it's harder to create the similar setup that I had at Unity and at an earlier stage company. No, that's absolutely right, because each company has, has its own DNA and context and definitely what works on, on a company very well might not work at all in the in a different company. Um, and for instance, looking to my example here at TalkDesk, one thing that we know, so besides of this tech lead thing being completely optional, so one team might have a tech lead, another team might not have a tech lead at all. One thing that was kind of a common agreement was that this tech lead uh, would be more of a duty than uh, than a, a uh, a career path uh, step. So what we believe is, let's say we have our career path that is like, imagine software engineer one, two, three, senior principal and so on and so forth. While the, the tech lead thing, it's something that it's pretty much like the captain of the team. So it's something that you can be if you show that you're up to it and you have like the organizational skills, the technical guidance, but it really doesn't mean that you would need to move from, let's say, on your career ladder after senior or tech lead. So it's not something that is in your way, it's something that if you want, you can pick that up. And that doesn't mean that you're going to get a raise or something like that. It's pretty much just a duty that you offer yourself to do uh, for the benefit of your team. Um, <clears throat> Um, and obviously with that, it means that the tech lead, it's not the manager of the team. So we don't have direct reports for team leads. It's more like a kind of a mix between uh, architect, uh, even scrum master, you know, this kind of guiding the team than anything else. Um, do you see that uh, the tech lead in your situation was more or less like this, or it was actually it's like a step of your career? So let's say, for instance, for you to get a promotion, you would need to be a tech lead. So I do, and especially in startup organizations and growing organizations, I do see the technical lead as more of a role and as a part of the career ladder and for specific reasons. One, the other alternative is to have a career ladder that allows very strong specialization around specific technologies, which often is more difficult in smaller companies. When you go to engineering organizations of 600 people, 800 people above which very specific technologies 
it is easier to become a subject matter expert than a principal engineer on a specific topic. Now, when you have a smaller team, generally what I tell people on what does career progression for an individual contributor, non-management, non-people management path look like? Uh, and they ask me like, hey, do I just have to become a better coder? And my response to that which ties into technical leadership as well is, I believe the more senior become as an engineer, what, what happens is you may not have to manage people, you have to influence people. Because in current modern software development, architects that make decisions for the team don't, don't or should not exist as a role. Rather, you need to have that influence to help teams make a decision. So the more senior you get, your sphere of influence expands. So if we talk about a senior software engineer, I expect them to be often not only responsible for their own code, but maybe help out one or two more junior members of the team so they can pull together a feature. As a lead software engineer, I expect them to be responsible for the technology decisions of their team. Now, again, that doesn't mean that they're going to make those decisions, but they are responsible for influencing the team to get to that decision. So it is in that sense a role and a step up because then if you if you want to put, draw up that ladder more, then you get to the level of principal engineer where, where I would expect them to be responsible for a portfolio of product or all the products within the company. Again, there is no people leadership involved, but you need to have that ability to influence people at a, at a larger scale. And that is a step in personal and technical growth that you need to show. And I think mm -hmm. therefore there needs to be a role tied to that. There should be compensation tied to that. There should be expectations tied to that. In that way we can, because the other problem is if we don't do that, it is often harder to show the technical leadership path to individuals who make it be good with people, but don't want to manage people because those people exist. So really let's focus on the influence of the individual without the people management and allowing them to grow through that. And if they do have that influence to make sure that the right decisions are made, the right processes are in place, cross-team communication towards architecture happens, we should make sure that we do create a role on that and we do create the ability to show career progression through, through that. I've got a question if I can jump in. I heard influence into my ear when you're talking about the idea of a team leader needing to influence the team how much does that person's influence in the larger scope of their professional career matter in that I, I i mean so i'll talk and work with companies to try to empower their employees to gain more influence in a general sense that means encouraging them to post about their thought leadership on linkedin and um you know speaking on the company's behalf do you yep. feel that the internal team leader, this one that has to have influence over the team, do you see companies, are you um, at Handshake, are you encouraging them to grow their personal brand and be known for the leader, the technical leader, the people leader that they are outside of the company? Does that give them more power within those small teams? Or is it really just influence within the own team inside the company walls? I think, like, first of all, I think encouraging engineers and growing folks within the company to more also talk about their influence externally is something that we should all always encourage and celebrate because especially for engineers, it's sometimes hard and it's important for their career growth because let's face it, I have a great team. Not all of them are going to work here in five years, even if I would want to. So I want to help them take steps forward in their career and I want to help them understand even if they decide to at some point leave what that does mean for external. However, that should not influence their ability to internally progress and 
take that stand. Rather, at the end of the day, the respect of their peers, the respect of their team, the respect that their managers have for them, and their ability to guide towards right decisions, drive for alignment. Because at the end of the day, that's, that's what you want to do through influence is drive for alignment. So technical problems don't become a blocker is the key thing. That is what they're being measured on. That is what their success looks like. Anything you, on, go ahead. Do you find, you know, there's this, there's this real challenge, like investing into the employees, knowing that they might not be there in five years. How do you deal with that as the, the leader of the leader of these leaders internally? Because I believe that the more you really support the individual, the more loyal they're going to be to you and the more they actually might not leave. So I'm just curious from a technical standpoint, do you see, uh, whether it's here and your past experience, is there a correlation between your amount of time invested into this person as a person and their skills and their influence and, and their professional goals? Is there a correlation between that and their loyalty and you knowing that they're going to stay because you're supporting them? I, I do think there's there are there's a strong correlation between that because like as people say people don't leave companies they leave managers yep. and if they I see a manager that. and a leader who is helping them grow they usually say like okay hey I want to see how far I get I can get if there becomes a point like they, they say like okay now I have learned everything I can from that person then there's two options saying okay it was amazing for me to be leveled up scaled up and now I can do more in this company and, I've, and I enjoy it, or then, it, then what happens is that they need to move on. And because people change companies, jobs, because they, they can't move up. That's the most common reason, if everything else is good. So, and the, the, the one thing that I think is maybe a challenge for you is that because you run Handshake, which is a place for people to get professional careers, <laughs> they kind of have an inside scoop on whatever the great positions are outside of the company. But I, I like that you do see the correlation between investing in the individual and you know, their ability to see how, how tall or in what directions those ladders go. Yeah, and it is because if we don't show that, people will, even if we think we've shown it and we, have, we don't explicitly heavily invest into that, people will think that there is no path for them at the company they are. Rather, it needs yeah. to be front and center. We do need to talk about it. We need to show and understand. And it is a struggle for growing companies because at the end of the day, you think about, okay, my career leveling, what does individual contributor path look like? Look, are these a priority? Because we got to scale, we got to get more customers. We got to close the next round of funding. These often are not priority number one in companies. And, 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 you, and, it says, it, <laughs> and it's really you're talking about this topic and Pedro I'll sort of lob it back to you, but it's really implicit or explicit, right? You're talking about, are you implicitly making people understand that there are these management leadership tracks by it just being in place, like implicitly there it is, but explicitly is saying, stop guys, we really want to help focus ladies. We want to help focus on you. So it really ties into this implicit, what's not necessarily said, but assumed. And then I really like you saying, if you don't put it front and center, if you're not, explicit about it you know it, how far does that really how far does that messaging go it's no, interesting no. No, it is. And it's quite tricky because, for instance, you're a talk desk. So it's just like I said, so we have some teams with tech leads, some teams that don't have a tech lead at all, at all or an engineer lead, whatever you want to call it. And for some folks, it's really, really important for them because just like Thomas said, so I want to grow uh, as a professional. So I, I believe that for me to be a tech lead, it's, it's, it's a big part or has a big part of, of, my, of my growth and my personal development. Uh, and so it's some, a little bit tricky because, you know, if you are a team or in a, you are in a company where this 
duty or role doesn't exist, people actually might get demotivated and regardless of how loyal they are to you, they might feel tempted to actually to leave and grab that opportunity somewhere else. Because at the very end, it's all about how much of the impact you can do on the team or, or in the company. And obviously this sort of duty of tech lead puts you in a much better position to actually to achieve that sort of impact. And that's something that is very tricky for us to actually to manage uh, expectations, you know, and making sure that something that is quite fair for everyone. Um, and it's a very transparent process and not something that people really don't understand exactly what's happening. So it's, it's not easy at all. Um, and, and for instance, even looking for at our talk desk example, <clears throat> I see that so we always look to the soft skills um, traits. Okay, so if you're a, a lead, you definitely need to be a leader. And, and the leader is not just the guy that knows how to code the best, but is actually someone that inspires people to go after them. Okay, and that's actually one of the biggest differences also between the leader and the manager. Um, but um, again, we it's just a matter of making sure that. Um, People are good citizens too, you know, because that's something that we usually expect from this sort of tech lead thing. Okay, so we as an engineering, we are a committee, at least an internal one. So what are you going to do to your peers to learn something? How can we all improve? And that's something that usually we kind of charge a little bit extra on those tech lead figures. I don't know if you feel the same, Thomas, or not. Yeah, I, I mean, I do. I, and I think one of the challenges were for people to grow into this role is that is the fact that the amount of time you spend coding goes down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it is indeed that of you're expected to be a leader. You're expected to be the champion of the values we have. You're, we're expected, expecting you to teach others things. And it, it comes back to your ability to influence. And influence is not only decision-making. Influence is getting your team leveled up. Like, what are you doing to get them to the next level, not just you, but the team. And I, and I think it is, that's often the hardest because <clears throat> even the, the funny thing is that we often talk about the new, I, I think uh, uh, Michael Lopp, often known as Rams, the VP of engineering in Slack, who writes an interesting blog, he had a great post on the new manager death spiral, which is the, the mistakes you make as a new manager. Funnily enough, it applies to technical leads as well. Mm -hmm. Because it is not understanding what changes in your roles and responsibilities when you have that technical leadership. Because often we assume it, leadership is only people leadership. It's the common mistake we make. And then technical leaders come back and say, hey, I wrote all the code for you. I wrote all the, did all the architecture for you. And then they go to their manager, why does my team now hate me? <laughs> so... It is, an, it is a challenge, and I think the key thing is communicating those expectations is incredibly important. Because I, have so, I have seen many, many people failing that who have then become disillusioned about the ability into that. And in, in those cases, of course, I, the main thing I think back is like, were they clear of the expectations? Did, did they understand what they're expected to do? Did they understand what they're supposed to give back to the team? Absolutely, because even one thing that I usually see as a pattern is that as soon as you're a tech lead, so you are going to code much less, you're going to attend to much more meetings, and some people actually don't like that at all. Uh, so that shouldn't actually be kind of a reward, because again, if a reward sounds like more meetings and less code, a lot of people are not up to it. So we really need to watch out for it. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so one thing that 
that and now that we are almost kind of running out of time, one thing that I really would like to explore here is, so as, as I don't know, but uh, as as our listeners can can understand, so this tech thing or engineering lead thing is something that obviously is quite tricky. So there is no no rights and wrongs. Um, so it has a lot of pros. It has a lot of cons for sure. I know, for instance, to 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 two folks that I admire a lot, so two professionals. So one of them is Nick Caldwell, that usually participated here at ScaleUp. So he's a former VP of engineering at Reddit. So he definitely has his vision of engineer managers and architects. Okay, so these kind of two very separate ways. Um, but for instance, another professional that I really appreciate is Patrick Kua, that is currently the CTO of N26. It's a, a bank from Germany. And he definitely is super pa passionate about the, this tech lead role. Um, so it's quite interesting, like two very successful professionals that have some so different point of views. Uh, one thing that I believe that definitely is a, a pro for this tech lead role is this idea that, you know, as soon as you have someone that is very concerned and focusing on driving the team forward, uh, you can actually establish the difference between, you know, all of us being responsible for something versus each one of us being responsible for something. Okay. So it's, you kind of kill this effect of group of, okay, we all are responsible, but at the very end, no one is. So you, you assure that for sure. Um, but what I believe for instance, a con or what I'm afraid of, of a tech lead is that for you nominating, nominating a tech lead, you're probably missing a lot of leaders that are in the team and probably they won't emerge because of this presence. Um, I don't know, Thomas, if you if you can give us some examples of, throughout your career of pros and cons that you that you face with the, with this tech leader situation. Yeah, it is a great question, and specifically to the point that you mentioned that you might miss out on individuals on the team being given that leadership opportunity because you take one individual to be the technical leader. And especially if teams are very senior, there's often a situation if there's a six-person team, half of them actually could be leaders. So what do you do with the other two that didn't make it? And because for them, the situation is like, hey, why was I not a leader? And in those questions, the question is like, did that team actually need a explicit team lead if the setup is fine? Now, of course, then they all want that career growth. So you're battling with the individual's growth path versus how do you make sure that the, every, all of them have a growth path? And then the it's really what the team needs is the key point, but then making sure that all of them have that responsibility. Uh, I do also want to make sure that even senior engineers do take on implicit leadership as much as possible of like, hey, you're now responsible for this specific feature we need to deliver. Take, take these two people and work with them to deliver it. Let me know if you need help. And now, however, while it's great implicit leadership, at the end of the day, people look for explicit leadership because it is a validation. Yeah. So it is really that, that they are being told, the organization is being told that they are moving forward. And that is a big challenge that especially in small organizations you have because you don't have those roles to go around. I'd love for my current team to take multiple people and give them the tech lead titles, but I don't have the organization yet. We will get there, but it's going to take time. So that's one of the challenges. Uh, and of course, the, one of the, sometimes if the challenge I have seen is if you go into the having an explicit engineering manager and explicit team lead, uh, tech lead role too early, there is a very strong overlap and responsibilities. Yeah. And then the tech lead and the engineering manager, while they, in great situations, it's like a it's like a partnership. It's like these two people are married because they work together so closely and they together make a dynamic duo that runs, runs the organization. 
And that works well if there's a lot of work for the both of them. They both really drive to get things done. If there's a smaller organization, you usually end up in a situation where one of them is a little bit spinning their wheels because they're not comfortable. And then they start overlapping. Then they start con conflicting. And that's, that's the risk to watch out for. Hence, I generally do prefer the technical lead slash manager setup before getting big enough because it allows us to manage that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> However, the challenge with that is that then we took the smartest person in the room usually and gave them technical leadership and people management. And now they're coding 10% of the time and they actually might end up being miserable. So it is really an understanding your organizational life cycle is what is what is the best thing for my organization and then understanding 12 months down the road, we might change that and we probably should change that because no organization should be written in stone. However, for some people, it may, may feel daunting. They may feel uncertain about the future because you things change and roles change. However, at that point, clear communication, being able to paint the picture of like, hey, here's where we think we're going. Here's what the organization might look like 12 months down the road. Disclaimer, subject to change, your mileage may vary. But at least in, in many things leadership and especially engineering leadership, I believe one of the biggest things is to be able to paint that vision of where things go and say, hey, look, here's where we're going. I don't have every single step of how we're gonna get there organizationally. However, here's the vision. Now let's go back to present day. What is the next step we can take that actually leads us towards that vision and when that's the, what's the next small step we can do that again gets there but if you don't have that vision you don't know where the organization is going to get, take the next step and that's when people get confused yeah i agree and, and even on the on the on the company that is constantly evolving and scaling and you probably have like you're doubling the your personnel every year or so it can be really really tricky and confusing almost like a chaotic state and obviously what people should be uh, assured of is that okay with the growth everybody will have opportunity to to actually to, for the developer as a person as a, as a professional and not be a situation that just causes stress on our folks because that will take them their minds from what really is the important thing that is obviously to, to deliver value to, to our customers. So yeah, yep. I agree with you. So we are very, very much at the end. So we always like to, to close our, our, our conversation with one, one question. There is something that I usually call it like the golden moment that is. So Thomas, um, one engineering advice for any startup that is listening to us and has the ambition to scale, so to get up to the handshake level or even to go to the unity level. So what would, you, would be the advice for you? Yeah, and I think I alluded it, to it already there. And I think the key <laughs> thing is like, have that vision, have that conviction, make sure you absolutely crisply communicate it out there and make sure that everybody, you, your job is to like engineering leaders, your job is to bring people along. You need to show them the path and you, but you help them walk that, that path. You don't make them walk that path. But the key thing that often happens that I like is as important as painting that vision, do not prematurely optimize for that vision. Like that's a vision. Don't paint every step along the way because then people will blindly follow those uh, even if that's right or wrong. Paint that vision and help people find their own path there because they will make it do, probably do it better than you thought they could and they will uncover something you didn't know and just focus on that. Like if, you, if engineering leaders do that the best, they build amazing organizations. Brilliant, brilliant advice. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thomas. Back to you, Ryan. 
All right. So question, uh, Tomas and Pedro, have either of you gone to In-N-Out? Yes. Yes. Pedro, yep. I don't believe you. Like an actual In-N-Out burger. Have you, have you, have you been there? In-N-Out burger? Oh, no, no, yeah. no. Okay, good, because I don't think they have them in Porto. So as a result of this conversation, I know we started off with this printer analogy, but I've actually gone and created a whole new type of chart for engineers who are looking to scale up. And it is called the in and out chart, okay? So you can think about this like a burger. It's the best burger ever. But the nice thing about in and out very limited choices. You have burger one, burger two, shake one, shake two. It's not like overwhelming with, with all these options. So what I've done here, and it might be in reverse, is that on, on the left-hand side, it's the implicit. What is it that implicitly needs to be stated? In the middle is the actual item, what you're going to order. And then on the far end is the explicit. And I have about seven different pieces of paper that I was working through until I perfected this. But I think it's a really interesting tool that can be expanded upon. So from today's conversation, if the item is influence, right, the implicit might be the vision and goals set up by the company, right? This is like, you know, inherently I'm at this company and I think I know what they're up to, but explicitly is painting that picture, actually saying this is what it's gonna be. If we're talking about expectations, you have these implicit expectations that they're gonna be a good citizen, that they've got soft skills, that they actually wanna be there, but explicitly you have to have policy and you have to say, this is what's required and here's what you have to do. When it comes to team leadership, you have this implicit of, look, if somebody on your team needs help, then you should help them. I don't have to tell you that. Yet on the, on the other side of it, you have to have this opportunity and, and system for validation so they know that they can get recognized for that. When it comes to people leadership, you have this idea of a team captain, somebody who might take it on for no role, uh, no additional pay. But then at the same time, you have to show them that there's incentive and pay explicitly to probably encourage them to do that in the first place. And then career growth, this idea that you have this implicit path, I will go through these different ranks, but explicitly you have to sit down with that person and have that discussion. So I really like this concept of what is your goal? What is your, th that item that you wanna order on the menu? Look internally to see what systems are created, like what menus are printed and, and what's not there. And then look on the other side and how can I reinforce that? Because Tuamas, one of the things you said that really stuck out was, you have to just put it front and center. And I think just like if we have our own ideas, we're way more familiar with them. So we just maybe leave out some of the details because we assume people know, but you really can't assume. And it's not that you're being an overbearing manager. You're just being very clear at making the connection between what is implicit and what is explicit. And if you're not managing those expectations, whether it's scaling, whether it's any other type of, um, item within the company, be it engineering or finance or some of these other topics we talk about, you have to understand the difference and where those two combine. So uh, I love it. I really enjoyed this conversation. And my favorite is the fact that uh, we have somebody who is helping people find jobs, say that there's a direct correlation between supporting your employees and their career path, whether it's with you or not, and how that is directly correlated to them and their loyalty and that open of discussion. And you'll probably get more years or more value out of those people than you would have otherwise if you just tried to hide behind your policy and procedures, fearful that they're gonna leave. And in that time, they've probably already left. So talk about scaling up engineering from printers that don't work to in and out burgers and a new graph. I think we've covered a lot of territory here today. So I still can't code, but I feel like I could have more insight to a team leader who does code, um, understanding implicitly and explicitly 
what their responsibilities are. So gentlemen, this has been a lot of fun and uh, continue to shaking hands digitally and regularly, um, but from across the world and from down here, uh, looking up to San Francisco, uh, I, look, I hope that this is the first dot in a series of dots. And that's me implicitly thinking and explicitly saying, let's connect soon. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs>